Five-Year Mission, the podcast, episode six. This week's episode of Five-Year Mission, the podcast is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com and stay tuned for this week's special Five-Year Mission, the podcast discount code. Fansets, we are Star Trek. By now you figured out that this is the Five-Year Mission podcast. Welcome to the Five Year Mission Podcast. Do your cartoon voice, the Andy cartoon. Well, I, I use an effect for that. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the Five Year Mission Podcast. Welcome to Five Year Mission the Podcast. Welcome to Five Year Mission the Podcast. Yes. This week we have Noah Butler and Chris Burgeon and myself. I am Mike Rittenhouse, and that's that's all I needed to say. Okay. <laughs> Fark's not here. This is like the first episode that doesn't have Fark. I think it's okay to be Farkless. Yeah. Farkless. This week we're here to talk about Squires of <laughs> Gothos. Not just the, the song. Yeah, the, the episode and the song. When we do our albums, we, we draw the songs to see who, who gets what episode. And uh, Chris is the lucky guy who drew this particular episode i had no idea what it was when i pulled it out of it. do you remember like pulling for year two because i don't remember it at all year two how it's do been we, so long that ago. was the, that was because we we didn't draw for year one no we didn't draw for year one so year two was that the was that the urn that was the urn yeah. that was an urn <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's right. that was it was well it was like a wooden <laughs> base but we called it an urn yeah was it just one that was sitting around my house yeah Okay. Yeah, we were just at your house after practice, and we decided to, we just did it on the spot. We just, I think it was like right after we released year one. No, because we, we were still working on year one when we were writing the songs for year two. Oh, were we? Oh, yeah. Well. So, yeah, yeah I, I, and I, I pulled, I, I can't remember right off the top of my head all the songs I had on that album. <laughs> but I remember when I pulled um, Squire of, of Gothos, I had no idea what it was. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the album... It, it it opens with this uh, like killer guitar rocking like driving Galileo seven. Galileo seven yeah we you know, with all of these great dynamics and you know whatever and it, it sets you up for like a good ass kicking and then you you get that ass kicking in <laughs> arena you know <laughs> like, like, like literally but there's like a sidebar in between. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I Squire think- of Gothos, the the character was kind of a sidebar. I <laughs> yeah. mean, Trelane was... He, he, was, he, he was, was fancy. He was fancy, but he was... It's, it's an interesting analogy that Mike makes because Galileo 7 was all about, you know, the crew and... and you know, Spock leading his first away mission, or not away mission, yeah, but his was, first command. An episode. And, and then Arena is this big battle episode against the Gorn. And and Squire is this kind of random, you know, they come across this kind of random entity that comes out of nowhere. And so that's a perfect perfect analogy for the way the song sits in between those two uh, uh, episodes on the album. So nice work, Mike. <clears throat> It does, yeah. Actually. I did that on purpose. Actually, yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> that's very meta now that I think about it. But I don't know. I I was I was telling Mike I don't know really where the feel for that song came from. It was definitely in what I saw in Trelane the character because really the song 
is it, it kind of takes you through the episode. It's one of those kind of procedural songs, but the the feel itself was give was inspired by Tree Lane, the look of Tree Lane. I know he's at the beginning. He's got like this. The outfit he wears is French, I think. Maybe uh, I think I read somewhere kind that it was of, French, yeah. and then later on he's got the the British wig, right? right yeah. Which I read an interesting story about that. Uh, we can talk about later, but but just you know, the song is more of a has is definitely Spanish influenced. Yeah. And so it's just like in those, you know, in, in that area of Europe right there is where it came from, I guess. So when we started submitting our demos for year two, Squire was the first demo that you sent out to us. I think so. I think I started doing them chronologically there for a minute just because mm-hmm. I didn't know any of the episodes really. So you, and you, I think, you were watching them and... Yeah, I was watching them and kind of churning them out as I was, as I was doing it. And City on Age of Forever was on year two, wasn't yeah. it? Okay, so I was holding off on that one because that one I was pressure. terrified of. Yeah, yeah. And that, that that one was actually, I did that one last, I remember, because you guys you guys were waiting for me to do that and you <laughs> made, up, that. Yeah. You made well, up your own version. Yeah, well, yeah one, and, and <laughs> right. one, one thing that I remember about about that time was there we had this sort of joke about your songs because you always mention the name of the episode in your song and yeah. al- almost always in the chorus. I, well, at the time I did that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so you, and you sent us Squire. <laughs> and I mean, the chorus is Squire. Of <laughs> and, and so we started making this joke where every time that you got a, uh, an episode before you would send it to us, we would sing it to the tune of Squire of Gothos. Where <laughs> yeah. he, he's going to send us, it's going to be City on the Edge of Forever. <laughs> well, and the funny thing is, the naked time, I didn't do that. I know. Yep. And on uh, Dagger of the Mind, I kind of did it, but not exactly. I mean, we we say Dagger of the Mind like 50 times at the end of that song. <laughs> but like, okay. But not during the chorus. But not, not like up I, and I said... Usually up until in the then. <laughs> up until then. But that's your part anyway. So. Um, you know, Balance of Terror is just at the very end. So I, I hadn't like overdone it. But then I come in with Squire of Gothos <laughs> and Sitting on the Edge of Forever when I finally got that done. <laughs> it right. had many, many <laughs> more Sitting yeah, on the Edge of yeah, Forever's we, in there. That, that was one of the ones where we were like, you need to change this. It had more <laughs> Edith Keeler's in there too. Yeah. And I changed a lot of that, so so yeah. yeah. But I think I think Squire really I think it was appropriate for Squire of Gothos because he, it in that one it, it just worked. I I felt it worked, it and it, it didn't feel some of the song you know some of the demos I put out. It feels tedious. I'm just like man, I need I need to put some other words in here. But that one didn't. That one never felt tedious to me. It felt it, it had kind of that hook quality. That, yeah. that made it work for I, me. I think the lyrics pretty much stayed the same from the demo to the album. They did. Yeah. I don't think they ever changed. And after rewatching the episode today, which Mike and I did earlier. Oh, okay. That is very appropriate for yeah <laughs> for for yeah. what the feel of that episode and for what is happening in it. It's just. I really, I actually really like that episode. It's ironically, now I've changed my mind a little bit, but I was never a big fan of the Q episodes in TNG. I didn't really ever like Q. I thought he was just a little bit preposterous and very um, preposterous and pompous. <laughs> yeah, I, I get very bored with Q. I, I do too. And it just, it kind of pulls me out of 
of the episode because Q can do anything. And so anything can happen in a Q episode. It's yeah. like a holodeck episode, which I'm also not a fan of, where like anything can happen. And so nothing feels real. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel as concrete. Well, because at any point he could just snap his finger and undo anything that's happened. Right. So yeah. There's no real so, threat. Right. And so... I, I, I like them in an encounter at Farpoint. I thought that that was a great, you know, a even, part of that episode. The, but if, if they if they hadn't brought him back so many times, it, yeah. would, it would make encounter at Farpoint a more powerful episode. I, I even think encounter at Farpoint is a little tedious. Yeah. But but going back to to Trelane, he's I mean, he's been compared to, you know, a Q like character. Yeah, there's there's a lot of debate about whether or not he's a Q. Yeah, and I know he's been written in the books as a Q, or you know, I think one he was a, a pr- an apprentice to to Q, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But you know, the point is, I I never really cared for those episodes, but this one is different because it's not this. You find out he's not really this omnipotent being. I mean, he is, but he's also a child. You know, he's just. He's just playing around and having fun. And so that kind of elevates the, th- the threat level that you don't have with a Q because a Q knows of, of the op- omnipotence and the, the, the power that is wielded. But and a being that doesn't ha- that's still a child, it's just like a, you, know, you have a kid and they don't understand. They don't have empathy, which is something that's missing from, from Trelane, which I find is really interesting. But it also makes him really easy to manipulate. Where, you know, Kirk destroys his source of power and he just throws his temper tantrum and he's it's easy to challenge him when, you know, he's he pretty much condemns Kirk to death and Kirk just says, oh, well, you shouldn't do that. You should let's play a game, you know, where I die at the end. So it's just a it's a much more interesting concept to me than just somebody that has all this power and they can do whatever they want and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, yeah. I always really enjoyed that at the end of the episode where he's like, you know, I could have won. Yeah. <laughs> I was with, you know, he was right. We, we like so today and upset. Yeah. We were like, how many? I think we said, boy, that went on for a really long mm-hmm. time. How many times he says, I would, I would have or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And then I'm like, yeah. didn't Chris do was, that at the end of the I did, song? On yeah. Purpose, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's an important part. I mean, that's like really. Well, yeah, it's the end of Trelane in the episode, yeah. at least. And I think he popped up again in in other in comic books and, and yeah elsewhere. oh yeah he's he's been in, in comics and in the novels for sure but yeah um, I, I also I find something interesting about this episode is that the end of the episode is basically the end of Charlie X it's like the same yeah very it's it's like the you know his parents very show much up. so yeah you know the only difference here is that you know he's an adult so you're surprised yeah. That he's a child, but I, I thought that was funny because you know this is the seventeenth episode to air, and Charlie X was the second episode, so yeah. I mean, they're in the same season, even. Like. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh, you know, this was the first episode <clears throat> where Leslie takes the helm. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh Leslie, yeah. yeah. Oh Leslie, that that's sounds right. about right. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like something he'd do. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I always think is funny in this episode is uh like when you watch the the original series spock's hair is always just like jet black on almost every episode but for some reason in this episode he's got like a little brown streak 
like right here, like that right, is, right, right yeah, above his specific, <laughs> yeah. right above his right eye. There's like a strand that just didn't get dyed or something. Or, Interesting. Yeah, if you watch it, it, like it's it really stands out in some scenes. I always thought that was weird watching this episode. Like he just has this brown strand in his hair, like you know, but then it's gone in the next episode. I think that's the nerdiest observation I've ever heard. <laughs> <you have>. <laughs> <laughs> I I remember this episode really clearly. From when I was watching them as a kid, it was one that somehow burned into my brain and stayed there for a long time. It's almost cartoonish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it has things like the salt vampire statue and that like other bird like thing in the background. I I forgot. Like I remembered there like right when they walk in, there's a salt vampire statue. But then I didn't realize that McCoy sees it and kind of does a double take. Yeah, <laughs> that he 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 blasts it with a with the with the phaser. Like he he it's like the first thing he kills yeah. with the phaser. Like yeah. as a just disintegrates uh, yeah, it. Just disintegrates it. So here's here's a question. Trelane has is definitely has this feel like he's toying with them mm-hmm. because you know like when they when they try to escape after they destroy his mechanism. That's another thing. Okay, so Trelane has all this power. And yet he needs this mechanism behind a mirror to do what? Uh, <laughs> well, apparently to do something, but then he I mean, doesn't, he creates right. this he planet doesn't out of really nothing. need it. Yeah, like he, Kirk shoots it and he gets upset, but then he still uses his powers. Yeah, so and, I'm and not really sure what. He, he, he says he says something like, you think that's my only means of doing what he it does? Almost, it almost makes me wonder if it was almost intentional, like something they never talk about in the episode but it's almost like a red herring like he sets this up for them to find out only so that they can do that so he can get mad because right so they they think that they've won yeah because what he really wants is to he he wants to have conflict because when you're a little kid and you don't have anybody to play with and nobody really wants to play with you that makes you angry and so let's set something up so that you have a reason to be angry you know so it just and then he, you know, he goes after them and keeps putting the planet in front of them. So he's obviously, he obviously has way more power than what one would think he'd need this mechanism for. Well, and we, we took a second to pause the screen on the mechanism after the, after the mirror was shattered to see what was. Is it like a couple of pie What was inside? A, we, we were trying like to Like a stuffed animal. Yeah, spoon. I like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's like a stuffed parrot like like a <laughs> like a stuffed animal parrot that's inside there as, <clears throat> as well like i couldn't even make out it wasn't even a um a, a sort of steampunk mechanism inside it was just it, it, it just didn't even make any sense it just looked like there. someone threw junk in there yeah. and not even <laughs> probably what it was junk. probably just a bunch of stuff glued together yeah i mean it's not they didn't have any money <laughs> <laughs> no, they did not well and and then they I, I saw somewhere that the, the costume that Trelane wears was reused on Gilligan's Island like the week after. Yeah. And then it was also used by Mike Nesbeth, Nesmith on the yeah. monkeys. Uh-huh. Yeah. For, and actually, I, rem, I think I remember seeing him wear that because, I mean, they always wore outlandish costumes, but that one kind of stands out. I know some of the the Star Trek costumes were reused on Mork and Mindy. Oh yeah. Oh really? I could yeah. see that. Yeah, like uh, I think one of the ones from that it's like really obvious is one of the, is the one that uh the the bald guy where I can't remember his name Korob, Cor- what oh. he he wears in uh, Gamesters of Triskelion. Like he has that outfit, and if you watch, there's an episode of Mork and Mindy where the one of the guys is wearing it. And it's like the exact outfit. Interesting. So I read something interesting 
Oh, who was who was the director on this one? It was you know one of the directors. If you said his name, you'd know him. And of course, I can't remember the the guy who played Tree Lane. What was his name? William Campbell. Yeah. So William Campbell, they gave him this wig to wear, and it was like really, it was extra curly, and it wasn't period appropriate for what he was supposed to be wearing. So, uh, what you uh, Campbell? He was saying he needed this new wig, and Shatner was kind of a little bit. He was irritated by it because they would have to go find this other wig. And there was a little bit of a conflict there. But in the end, he talked to the director and the director made the decision to get this to get this period appropriate, you know, British wig. And I just thought that was interesting that uh, that was that was an occasion where superstar Shatner did not get his way on his his own show. So (laughs) I thought that was that was funny. But then again, Campbell was pretty well known. In his own right at the time. Yeah. I mean, he was a character actor, mm-hmm. did a lot of Westerns yeah. and... Oh, you know who they wanted originally for the role? Roddy McDowell. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, and they ended up going with Campbell. Hmm. And I can't remember if if McDowell was... If they didn't have him come in uh, because they'd already found Campbell or if... Oh, I know what it was. They wanted McDowell, but they had Campbell come in and read and the director saw him like, and he was just like, go, go get in makeup. You know, let's go. You're, you're, you're in. So it was, so the song, there were so many, so many little bits I could have latched onto. And at the time, I think we were, I mean, we were still early on, you know? Yeah. We hadn't really just figured things out. We we kind of had thrown year one together. Yeah. And I mean, we, we, we worked really hard on those songs and, and everything, um, but it wasn't as cohesive yeah, as, as right. it became. I mean, year, year two was the first album that we truly like worked on as a band from yeah. the start. Start to finish. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, so, you know, that was the first one. And, and for some reason, I just had this idea already. Just, you know, again, kind of given his look and, and feel, and it just felt right to me. I, I remember Patrick had sent out Tomorrow is Yesterday. Okay. And, you know, I heard that and I was like, that's cool. I mean, that's an awesome song. And then Noah sends out the Galileo Seven. Yeah. And like, oh man, that's that's really awesome. And then you sent out Squire Kothos. <laughs> and uh, I I had a I had a, a a Michael from Arrested Development moment. I was like, I've made a horrible mistake. A huge mistake. That's it. I, I've never felt a whole lot of love for Squire of Gothos, but I I like it. I think I, it turned out, let's just put it this way. It turned out exactly the way I wanted it to. So I was happy with it. We don't play it that often. We did for a while. We we, we played it quite a bit until and year three it came kind out. Of, I, I will say that when we, we did, played we it live, play it, quite a bit. it kind of tended to uh, kind of slow things down a little bit. So I think yeah. that's why we pulled it. It's, it's a hard song to, to play live Unless we're doing a really mellow show. Yeah, it takes a certain crowd. We worked up, though, like, I, <clears throat> we did work up a faster version, and every once in a while, I'll go, I go back through all these, like, voice memos that I have, like, mining for <laughs> song ideas and mm-hmm. different things, and I stumbled upon that not too long ago. Like, it's almost like a punk rock version. Yeah, it was like, a, it was like, um faster version of it that we'd recorded during practice yeah. and, and listened to it. And I was like, ah, oh, dang that, that was cool. Why didn't we like keep that up? Like, I, I think we played it like that in practice once. And then we well, didn't get together for a while and we were coming up on a show and I was like, why don't we do that? And 
there was dissension. I think there was because we, yeah, hadn't, well, we didn't have time yeah, to really work uh, I, on I, it. I, I think not everybody was was comfortable playing it. Yeah, different. So yeah. So when I when I heard the demo for the first time, I was really surprised at the style. <laughs> I, I was like, you know, because you know, I mean, one of the things I love about this band is that we have like no limits. Like we will, we try just about anything. Yeah. Like, you know, we, between all of us, we come up with a lot of different genres and styles. And yeah. that was one that I really had not even considered. <laughs> and when I heard it, I hadn't uh, either. It was, it was way more Latin in my head. Like I heard your demo and I, all I heard was like a Ricky Martin song. <laughs> it was like, I heard like that, that like dance beat yeah. and, <laughs> and like, samba. yeah. And, and I, I was like, what are we going to do with this? <laughs> he said to trust my vision. Uh, like, we're, not, we're not yeah. capable of backing this up. <laughs> I, well, I, I was a little afraid. <laughs> as I recall, aren't you the one that put a uh, trumpet on it? Uh, n- no, that, no. W- that was, uh, no, we ha- we, that was the prospect we hired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Come we in. did put that, but I think that was your idea to put trumpet on it. That's right. That's right. We had talked about one of us doing it, and you know, I had played trumpet before. This is in long the past, before Mike. I, yeah, Mike, this, this is this before is, yeah, my this trumpet. Is, this Mike. is before the trumpet incident. Before Mike ever threw okay. a trumpet across. Well, we'll, we'll talk. My we'll, neighbors. We'll talk about that in a later episode. <laughs> Yeah, we did. So the trumpet, that was cool. And I that still was our hear those first... parts. Like every time we play those songs live. That's because I, I, I play it on the keyboard. Oh, is that why? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have we, other than backing vocal parts, have we had any other musical guests on any other albums? I don't think, I think so. We have. I don't think we have. No. That's going to change on year five. Yeah, I, we I always to... feel like year two was the, the one that we tried to just really craft. Yeah. You yeah. know, we really tried to we're, we're, do all these different things and bring in other musicians. Yes. It was the sophomore experiment. <laughs> year three was a little bit more experimental. But not, but among us, maybe. Yeah. I, I right. feel like year two was more experimental. I, I, too, I think year actually. three, we got back to more like a driving rock kind of album. Year year three, we expanded maybe our, our all genres, experimental I think. Our, yeah. Their own way. Um, but I think we we did a lot of weird things on year year yeah, two. Like all of us had like some strange songs on yeah, year two. We did. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole like even our whole like the whole um, song before who more like the track seventeen yeah. like yeah, that track whole 17. weird thing that we oh, did. Oh yeah, like that was all. I mean that's awesome. Like yeah, I I, I wish we could. That was track sixteen, <laughs> seventeen, do something like yeah, that yeah, again. Si- yeah. Track, track sixteen, 16, 16 was the yeah seventeen the lead up to Adonius. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Captain's log. <laughs> Star date. That's well, so I keep thinking like, because I have too many ideas and I have songs. I'm like, can I just do like a part one and a part two of a song, even though they're, they're the same episode and yeah. just take up two more tracks on the album? I think I ha- like, no, I have all these voice memos and I'll go through. I'm like, that sounds just like, the, you know, I have a lot that sounds similar. Yeah, yeah, I do too. And so when I come up with something that just is very unique compared to what I usually do, then I just want to see what happens with it, you know? And I knew that having had the experience of, of year one with you guys, I knew that coming in, if I brought this in, it was, I, I liked the idea. It was a cool idea. I thought it was, it had kind of this swagger to it and that it didn't at first, but I knew that we could give it that, you know, in, in the, when we brought it all together. So I just wanted, I, I think that if it hadn't worked, we would have scrapped it eventually. But I think that once we got it, 
once we really got it all together, I think it worked pretty well. And I, I think it is a good, you know, coming off of Galileo 7, you know, you're just like on fire at the end of that song. And then it comes in and you're just like ready to groove a little bit. And then you, you know, kick him in the face with Arena. I have a memory of of year two and, and Squire because I played bass on that song. And that was still back in the time where I was like, well, I've got to, I've got to try to prove myself as a bassist. I can't just, you know, I've got to like really craft this bass and make yeah. it, make it sound, you know, interesting. Um, not just play root notes and, and do this, but it, but it's a weird song. It's, 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 I mean, it's a hard, like it wasn't easy to do. Like it wasn't easy to come up with a baseline for that. Well, it's all, that I, it's that all I thought minor. was interesting. It's, it's minor and, and it's, and I wanted to keep it bouncing and yeah. and well, keep that groove the song at its core is very simple i mean it's it's like what three or four chords and it's it's just a really simple song the way the way the other uh, instruments complement it with the vocals and and you know how it goes it does present a challenge musically which yeah i think and, that and, we all and i i i, I, I messed well. around with it for a while and, and and i thought i had something that i liked and then i then I think I kind of got down on myself and I was like, I remember at a, at a practice or two that I was just like, no, here, Mike, you just, you do something. Cause I don't think, I, I don't think, think I remember it, that. I don't think I can, I don't think I got that. I, I don't know what I'm doing on this. And, and I think I gave it to him and, and I, so I don't know what I switched to. I must've switched to keys at that point. Cause that's what you were doing. Maybe that's what you do on it. I, I don't remember, but then I remember like, listening and it was like the one time ever like li the only time that it's ever happened that i thought like nope i think i like my baseline better than whatever mike's doing and <laughs> took it back like and i would never ever in a million years like do that anymore like uh, you know but at the time i was like no 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 i i i think i i, I don't like what you're doing i give it give it back I, I probably played something terrible on purpose to encourage you and inspire you <laughs> to be what, more confident. Oh, you see, you're, you're a master teacher, Mike, a yeah. master teacher. Because cl clearly I could have come up with something <laughs> better than what you I generally just kind of embrace those bass notes, yeah. you know, on the bass. Actually, I've, uh, what was it? I think Aaron to Mercy was the first song that I really, I was like, I want to do something on the bass, you know, <clears throat> I'd never done before. And I think that was the first song I ever did that really had a lot of, uh, a lot of movement in the bass. And generally my bass lines tend to be more driving. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the songs I play bass on, you know, I mean, ultimate computer and, and doomsday. And it's just like these driving songs. Of my songs. Yeah. That's kind of what it's, that's, and, and it also lends, itself better to moving around and you know kind of jumping around and stuff that i like to do but but when i go back like i mean these I, we still play these songs but i'm not playing the same thing that we that that's on the album like it's a symbol like that happens with a lot of our yeah, songs like, especially I, the older ones yeah the farther we get from yeah recording them the more we experiment and yeah the, honestly there's a couple of songs that i play on now that what i'm playing is more accurate than what I recorded because like I rec I would record something and then later realize oh that's the wrong note. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think I have a couple of that too. <laughs> and then but then I corrected it for the live show. <laughs> well, I mean the, the way we record generally speaking, you know, you're you're putting you're laying down instrumentation for somebody else's song. 
so, you know, you write four songs and you're singing four songs, but then you've got these 12 other songs that you have to learn a part for. And if you're not playing rhythm guitar, then you've got to figure out, okay, we've got keys, you know, do we want this to move or do we want to kind of, you know, lay down this blanket of sound? You know, how do we want the bass to sound? And so by the time we get to recording, we've record, you know, we've practiced like a handful of times on on all these songs because we only have so much time and practice. Yeah. And so by the time we get to recording, it's like, okay, what did I play here? You know? And then yeah. you just, you just like do it the way it works. And then once we record it, it works. But then we get to the point where it's like beyond where we can change it. And we're just like, you know what? I'm going to play it this way now. Yeah. So it may yeah. not necessarily yeah. be the way yeah. we recorded it, but well, it, we do that because it's better. Usually I've, I've noticed a, a trend with us on most of our albums where, I mean, we have 16 songs on an album Usually 12 of them we work on pretty hard and flesh out really well. And then it, for a last minute, it <laughs> yeah, is near, right. near the end. We realize that, oh, we've got these other songs we've hardly worked on and yeah. the album's due next week. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, yeah. well, we'll just... We'll come up with something for Conscience of the King. Let's just get it done. <laughs> get it done. Well, and it was for you, for, for year four, I felt like it was... Um, for the world, for is, the hollow. world is hollow. I felt like yeah. that's the one that we were kind of were well, like... That's because I did... Remember when I did... Because I built that up using... Uh, uh, garage like Band. Garage computer, Band. Yeah. Because, you know, I had this kind of digital sound in my head. And then we ended up making it more organic when we put it down. But yeah, that was definitely one that took me a while to really flesh it out. And that was like out. right before you almost died. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so like... Oh, right. There was yeah. no, like we recorded it, but like there was no practicing of it. And like, I yeah. think we have still never practiced it. We have just we just don't. Well, do it I mean, very like often. I think since you almost died, you've <laughs> yeah. never gone yeah, back we, and tried to really, practice yeah. it and, and resurrect it to like yeah. play it. I would love to play that song. Yeah, live. I would too. It's just I would. It would be a <clears throat> totally new. Like I would have to go back and listen to the recording. <laughs> yeah, in depth and in would. detail to like yeah like. But uh, back to Squire. Oh, is that um, what we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, my my keyboard part is so basic. Like yeah. the one I recorded on the album is so simple. What? Yeah, yeah, it's it's just that that same sound yeah. from Mirror Mirror. It's that same like. Uh, yeah. It's probably the same note, isn't it? It is. Yeah. They, they start with the same, <laughs> the same note. It's a C sharp, um, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's so simple that I really have. I mean, there's nothing I can say about it other than that. <laughs> I play like four notes. And it's, it's just, <clears throat> uh, but I did learn the trumpet parts, the like the main yeah. trumpet. I didn't learn like the whole song, but. For when we did it live. Yeah. yeah. But um, but what I did want to mention, because, uh, I mean, he, he's not here but to talk about it, but uh, the, the guitar work that Patrick came up with for this song is really incredible. Um, it, and, like, I mean, after everything he did on year one, I was just surprised that he had even more in him, like, another style. Like, that that guy is just endless with... Yeah, I, I I was I remember when I first heard it all together, and I was just like, oh yeah, <laughs> this is it. Yeah, the Patrick's lead does really lend a lot to the song. It gives it it gives it a different a different voice. It's almost like another vocal line yeah, that is yeah. you know kind of a call and answer almost. And it's yeah, it's I thought I I've always enjoyed that that line and and paired with the you know what's going on with the trumpet, it just it all just kind of works together. Yeah, they re they really play off of each other. I've got a I've got a question for you guys. 
if you had if if you guys had done this episode what what would you have targeted to to write the song about because there's there's really a lot i think to write the song about yeah that's that's interesting um it, it, it would be hard for me to to not do it from Trelane's point of view yeah. like that it, it just seems like it commands Trelane's point of view yeah for, for the song i, I would um, probably go with Trelane's point of view just because he's a petulant child and and that's just so easy to put into like yeah song form and in any genre like like i am being treated unfair and and i'm not getting what i deserve and you know that's an easy thing petulant child yeah, well, songs well, <laughs> i mean that's kind of a theme in it's star trek the, the other point of view that i'm thinking about right now that would appeal to me the parents is from the parents. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, the glowing ball parents. The glowing ball parents. I would probably consider doing it from their point of view. Yeah, that would be my second choice. And, yeah. and it would, for me, it would probably be a, a, an upbeat song on probably a, a rocker of some sort. See, if I was going to do it again, because I can make anything into a love song, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> yeah. You know, when, when they, when he, he, basically abducts everyone and uh is it yeoman ross is that who it is, is that i can't name? remember her name so, so he's dancing with with the yeoman yeah i think uh, it's yeoman the, ross in that in that scene <laughs> you know he, he told he tells you her to play and she starts playing yeah sulu gets up from the table and he walks past mccoy yeah and he he, he kind of slows down and looks at mccoy and you know and mccoy looks up at him and then gets up and follows him. It looks like Sulu is asking him to come dance with him. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he was. It's, it, it, it's what it's it looked like. Like, like. When, scene, when, when, when we were watching it, uh, yeah, I was like, did you see that? And I rewound <laughs> it and showed it to Noah. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. just funny. But go on. He, so anyway, so <clears throat> Trelane pretty much makes her dance with him. Right. And it kind of a, a mix of what you guys were saying and, and what I'm thinking is that it's from Tree Lane's perspective, but he's like this little kid in high school that asked the the popular girl to dance. And in his head, this is going great. It's going great. <laughs> you know, and it could also it could it could even be one of those songs that's from two points of view. Whereas, you know, on this side, it's this is this is the best day of my life. And on this side it's like, oh my God, when this is gonna be over, you know? So I think I think that would be a fun so like fun exercise. It could be like a a Dolly and Kenny like bluegrass country <laughs> duet where you know he, the, the the guys all like I know you like me you know and then the girls all like get away from me like yeah that's did I do a country song on that album? Uh, yeah, court marshals yes. on that album. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. It's well, court marshals. Yeah, yeah. The country swing or the western swing. Yeah. Uh, that's for another episode. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I think you should. We, we should it should be a song from the salt vampire statues. Point of view. <laughs> it should just be and, a song and, and about it, the salt and vampire. And it ends when he, when it gets phasered into yeah. oblivion. Well, that's a mic that's got Mike written all over it. <laughs> he likes to abruptly ends and awkwardly end songs, just like conversations. Don't, don't look at me. Pretend I'm not here. I'm just in the background. Why are you pointing that at me? The end. <laughs> but you, you would end at mid verse, yeah. like in the middle of a verse, <laughs> yep. in the middle of a lyric line. Because you that's, just got blasted by a phaser. That's, that's a great idea. You know, the more I think about it, the more I appreciate the fact that I wrote this song <laughs> and not Mike. 
Just hang on. Of course, hang Mike, on, hang Mike on. hadn't gone we, down. This, this stuff writes itself. Mike <laughs> hadn't gone down the dark path yet. We did not yet have. You know what I'm talking about. Wolf in the Wolf Fold. In the fold. <laughs> yeah, that, that, the best song the on best year three. Song. It's a song on year three. <laughs> hey, that's you. You called it a song. That's that's good. <laughs> I remember the first couple times we played it, it was, it just felt so rough to me. Mm-hmm. I felt like it we was, were just, it was, it was. yeah. I, I felt like we, we just didn't have a hold on it. Like we just didn't know what to do with it. And I think early on, we just, nobody really knew what to do with it because it was, and I, I realized that it, it's just, I mean, court martial is a lot, of, a lot the same way. It's, it's a specific, it's not just a, a rock song where you can just, run for the finish line you just you kind of have to get into it and 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 find that feel and so i think that's part of the reason why it it doesn't go over as well live because we we never really took the time to develop that part of it it works in in the in the recording but not so much for us live which is why you know when we were talking about you know you talked about we changed it up and kind of made this other version of it i think that will work better live for for us yeah especially if we S- stick with it, yeah. commit to it and stick with it, you know? Yeah. Although we, I mean, we still do have, you know, one or two people that every once in a while, you know, why don't you, why don't you guys play that song ever? Which I'm always like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's play that song again. It's just one of those that you can't pull out. I mean, some of them that we haven't played in a while, we could sort of pull out and, yeah. and make it happen with very little practice. And then there's others. And I feel like Squire's just one where like, we have we have to really like pull it back out and know it yeah. well in order to make it work. That's, it's not just like, a, yeah, like let's just whip it out and crash through it and it'll be kind point. of funny and quirky as we crash through it. It's not that's right. just that's not the type of song that you can do that with. It it's, is one that has to be like that. worked through. Well, not necessarily worked through, but just we all have to be refamiliarize ourselves yeah. with it before we before we put it out there live again. You know. I don't know that when I wrote it, there's some songs that I'm fully conscious of that, you know, that we might not be, able, you know, the slower songs like Menagerie 2 and, and City, where I never, I wasn't surprised that we didn't play it out a lot because it does, they don't really, it's not like we're playing arenas and we're playing these two hour shows where we need, we need these slower songs to kind of break things up. Yeah. You know, we play these driving hour long shows. And a lot of times they're only like 40 minutes. Yeah. And so, you know, throwing slow songs in there just kind of kills it. Yeah. And so. Especially at one in the morning at the Melody Inn. Right. <laughs> and so I don't, I don't know that I really consider that for this song. And, you know, it's, it's very mid tempo though. And, you know, mid to, to slow tempo. So it's, it's not one of those that really lends itself well to, to lie. But that, you know, that's, they're not all. Yeah, songs they, they that don't, work well yeah, live and right, that's okay yeah. i mean that's i think if we tried i think if everything that we did we tried to make it something we could play live then it would be a detriment to the to the to whole the, yeah to the song itself or to yeah. to, the, to the album i mean yeah, you want yeah. that you want that kind of flow yeah. up and down flow throughout the album right in some songs you just like you've got that feel for it when you when you write it and you just know like this is the song I want to write and this is what it's going to be. And it yeah. may be great on the album and it may just never work live. And that's just, yeah. that's just how it is. One of my favorite songs still that we, uh, 
that we have on any album is the Apple. I love that song. Mm-hmm. And it's just like this, it just has such a cool feel to it. And it's just one that it would just destroy, like it would just, just bring the show down. You can't down. quite recreate. Yeah, you just I mean, the, recreate. things like the Apple and Squire are great for acoustic shows because acoustic shows are way more laid back. Mm-hmm. It's, well, it depends on, it depends on the venue, but if we're playing a show where we're just kind of, it's just kind of a hangout show or we're just kind of background and, and playing, you know, an acoustic show like that, then it's, it stuff like that is perfect for it. It'll be interesting to see what we do with Squire with, with kind of the different version. At the same time, we didn't, we did not play City on the Edge of Forever very much. Um, That's true. For a long time. And then we just recently reworked it and we played it like every right. single show since, <laughs> since, since we reworked it. The first Menagerie, we did the same thing. You know, we, yeah. we were, yeah. reworked that one. So it would be a different version that we, that would work better with a, with a live yeah. show. Yeah. And it's, that, and it's, it's think, more fun for an audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bless of a bummer. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 <laughs> kind of it's kind of fun to rework them too. It is. Well, us. it's it's fun for us because we get to do something different with something that we've worked with for a while, and it gives us the opportunity to the, to see it in a different way. But I think it's also fun for the you know the people that listen to us because they've been listening to the same th- you know the same thing. I I mean I know I like going to shows, and then so you know a band that I really love will start playing a song. And then 30 seconds in, I'm like, oh, I know this song, you know, like I don't recognize this. And then I realize what it is. And that's I was I think that speaks to the artistry of what's going on in the band, not just not just playing the same thing over and over again, exactly the same as the album. Well, I mean, and, and that, that get, not only does that get boring for the band, it gets boring for the audience, like- well, especially for a situation where we, you know, we play a lot of local shows. And I mean, we play regionally too, but for people to come to see us all the time, I mean, they keep coming to see us, so it must not be that boring, but it, yeah. it, it adds that extra little spark, I think, that makes it more well, interesting I mean, when, for them. You know, when, when, you play, when you play The Cage and For His Head Is Hollow and I Have Touched Spock's Brain as the two opening songs at every show, for two it, years. It, it, it gets years. really old and <laughs> yeah, people right. stop coming because they're like, well, they're just going to play those same songs again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we... I mean, we have enough songs that we can mix it up. And, yeah, we, yeah, we do. What we don't have enough time is is practice time. Yeah, right. Re- relearning a song <laughs> we haven't played in six years. We yeah. haven't played yeah. in six years. Yeah, uh, that's why I'm I'm always challenging you guys to to pull songs out of the out of the trash. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. out of the basement. <laughs> I know that you said that we're never going to play Enemy Within, but now we're going to play it. Play. <laughs> and we did. <laughs> we did. Yeah. yeah. And so people enjoyed it. I mean, bringing it back to Squire, just to to wrap it up. What what was as far as developing that song? What was your favorite part about bringing that song to life? And I know Mike said that it was unexpected what it was, but in developing the song and doing what we did with it, what did you find the most rewarding outcome of the song? For me, the I just think the final product um, was the ultimate reward because. Going from the demo, again, it was this thing like, okay, how are we going to make this do what it needs to do? Like, because I could I, I could tell what you wanted it to be and what, what it could be, but I don't know that I had the confidence that we could make it that way, you know. Um, but by the end, once, you know, Patrick had that, his lead on there, which was again just a pretty amazing lead to 
go with that style that I needed to do. And we threw the trumpets on there and uh, and I busted my brain to try to come up with some kind of bass line that <clears throat> came up, you know, followed the groove and needed to do some of the things it needed to do. Like I was just impressed by the final product that we we did what I think is justice to what your original vision was for it, which I, after hearing the first demo, I thought, uh, I don't know what we're going to yeah. do with it. How what are we, we going to do, do with this? this? How you know, are we going to make this work? And, and while you were talking about the development of the song there, something that we haven't mentioned at all are the drums. And they're okay. Well, <laughs> that, that really stands out to me because you, you made some, first, you were making some changes. I, made, I remember. Well, during the actually, process. yeah, I remember that. I made some really, really specific that, that changes. That became a trend for a while. Because <laughs> I, t I tend to do that. Well, I mean, <laughs> no, because, no, I, I remember, yes, the, the, this was the first song, too. Like, we, we practiced it a certain way, all, like, all the times. Yeah. And then we we got ready to record, and we got everything all set up, the mics, and you, and Andy's ready, and you, and you show up, and you're like, I want to change it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Andy was like, what do you mean you want to change it? <laughs> Well, to his credit, I mean, he, he, I, I don't speak drum because, you know, I can tell you, I can sing to you what I want a guitar lead to sound like, or what I want a keyboard part to sound like, or I can show you what I want. Drums, I can't do that. All I can do is make stupid gestures and noises with my mouth. Give, and so, Give us an example. No. <laughs> but I remember that's what I was doing, trying to, trying to, so... The, the feet, you know, Andy had, had gotten the feel right away. Well, I, I mean, I think that there was a little bit of build up to it, but, but, you know, once he got the feel and we were rolling with it, it was good. But I was, the thing that was really bugging me is that it was so static. Like there wasn't, there wasn't any movement in the song. It was just like the same thing throughout the whole, the whole song. And I mean, we had the bridge that changed it up a little bit, but it didn't really have, it didn't have any contours like throughout. So what I wanted is, you know, the, the verses kind of have this two part structure where you have a, a, a few lines and then it and then you hear that the toms and it was the, the toms on that on the the second half, the second, the the back half of those verses where I really wanted it to kind of drop, drop that, drop the snare back because just to give it kind of a, just a different feel there yeah, and use those toms. Some, yeah. some dynamics. And dynamic. I was, man, Andy and I went around and around on this for a while because I he didn't, that. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't convey to him well enough what I wanted, but I, all, you know, I, I was kind of making sounds and telling him I kind of wanted this round sound, you know, like to bring the, to, to like he was rolling around, around the, the, the drum kit. And, you know, eventually he kind of, he, and he uses mallets for that, for that part. And it just took a while to, to get that message across to him. But once he, you know, translated that and interpreted it the way I wanted it, I was just so happy. I mean, I remember just the change from what we were doing at the beginning to when we, I, I finally felt like that was the song, you know, and that was really the turning point for me where I felt, I just, I just didn't feel good about it. And then we made that drum change and I was like, okay, we're there. This is what and, I want. And I think for the rest of us, we were like, 
Oh God, I don't know what we're going to do with this song. Oh God, now he's changing it in the middle of recording. Oh God, what's going to happen? Well, luckily, the what what they changed on that didn't affect the rest of us that much. Yeah, fortunately, yeah. Yeah, I have a tendency, I mean, you guys can attest to this, where I have a, uh, I'll listen to something, because what we do is we'll start, we'll do these recordings close to when we're going to record. We do these live recordings, and then I'll listen to these over and over again, and I'll be like, this is what I can't hear when we're all together doing this. And so I'll hear what's missing, or I'll know something's not right, and then I want to change it. But then it'll be right, you know, it'll be time to record, and then it's, you know, the, the 11th hour, yeah, and, you, you have and to I want to make changes, but yeah. you have to. Yeah, you you have can't to, not do it, not, otherwise yeah. you're just, that's all you're ever going to hear. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's one thing that's that I'm happy with in this band, is there, there's very few things when I listen back to our albums that, uh, you know, I, I regret or that I feel is missing. Yeah. I, you know, I feel like we've we typically accomplish all the things that we want to do with most of our songs, except for the never ending tedium of, of mix adjusting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which to this day, I'll still be like, Oh my God, why didn't I turn that snare up more? Oh my God. Why is that guitar just slightly above this guitar? And yeah. Why, you know? Occasionally there's, there's that, but I think, I think because we're, we all have a hand in the entire process that I think that everyone's mostly satisfied. Yeah. And actually, uh, speaking of that, to answer your question from a few yeah. weeks ago, like yeah. that, that was my answer was I, I enjoyed mixing this song because it was a challenge because it was different than all, all the songs we'd done previous. Yeah. And you know, it, it had horns, like real horns mm -hmm. in it, you know, yeah. not, not just keyboard horns. You know, and it and it to corns, yeah, to 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 blend everything <laughs> together, and you know, make it work was it was a fun challenge, and you know, it kind of gave me some experience for future songs. Yeah. Did Did you have an answer for the question, Chris? I would say that you know, kind of what I related. The most re rewarding part was that that moment where I realized. This is this is this is this is working. This is one of those songs where I was feeling it's the worst feeling, man. Like you you do all this work to build up this song and you just don't feel good about it. And this was one of those songs. And then we got those drums. I, I hesitate to say right. It, they weren't wrong before. They just weren't what I wanted. They weren't yeah. what I was what I heard. Actually, I don't even know if I had envisioned that way. It just kind of was what I didn't know it needed in my mind and once we got there i was i was just real happy with the with the song we've we've got a, a two-star review to read of uh squire of gothos and or, or is it gothos it's gothos and where where does this come from that's on imdb okay so this is on imdb yeah it's it's it's, it's a five out of ten but you know Right. The reviews we usually talk about, if it's out of five, it's like so two and a half. Two to three, two to three star reviews by five year mission. <laughs> All right. Two star reviews by five year mission. The Squire of Gothos. <laughs> this is hard to do with a straight face. And you thought Shatner could be a ham. When we see the Squire Trelane for the first time playing his harpsichord, I thought it was Liberace. William Campbell chewed the scenery through this silly episode. Worse than Shatner ever did. The only sillier episode is the one where they're on a planet whose members are copying Chicago mobsters. Pl 
please. I can only suspend so much disbelief. Also, they should have made the squire a man in his 20s. The squire is much too old to be so childish. Entertaining, but campy as all get out and utterly ridiculous. <laughs> Two star reviews by five year mission. Accurate. <laughs> all right, well, this has been our squire of gothos. Gothos. Episode of uh, uh, Water Little Songs Made of of the five-year mission of the podcast. All right, well, see you guys next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Five Your Mission, the podcast. If any of you are interested in listening to more of our music, you can check us out on YouTube or Spotify or iTunes or pretty much anywhere that you can listen to music. Just search for Five Year Mission and we should be the first thing that comes up. If you would like to contact us in regards to the podcast or anything else that you want to talk to us about, you can email us at fiveyearmissionband at gmail.com. And for more information about the band, you can go to fiveyearmission.net. And also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Fansets.com is your home for all things Star Trek pin related, including pin releases from DC, Harry Potter, and Firefly. You're bound to find something you'll like in the nearly 200 pins. Fansets is currently offering a super limited amount of Brent Spiner and Doug Jones autographed pins. These are almost sold out, and these are also not machine replicated, and both come with a certificate of authenticity. Also, brand spanking new this month, new pins featuring Captain Janeway, Luther Sloan, Major Harris, the Mako logo from Enterprise, Travis Mayweather, Commander Non, and Michael Burnham. And as an added bonus, listeners can get 15% off their entire order at fancest.com through our special discount code. Simply enter the word NOG at checkout, all caps, N-O-G, NOG, in honor of Mr. Aaron Eisenberg. Fansets. We are Star Trek, and we thank Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. Mm-hmm.